Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hello, and welcome to episode 44. Uh, Today, we are talking about Canada climate and crew. Um, Like your crew? Like your homies? No. like crew? Crew, like grapes, like quality... Growth. Like growth. Of wine things. Of wine things. <laughs> uh, your crew. C-R-U. Crew. I can... You're in a spelling bee. It's lovely. I know. All right. Cool. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, what are we drinking? We are drinking Black Hills Estate uh, Winery Notabene. It's a 2014. It is a blend of um, 54. 52. 52% Cabernet Sauvignon, 33% Merlot, and 15% Cabernet Franc. Yeah. Pretty specific there. Um, and this is from Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. Yeah, and it's 14.9% ABV. Yeah. We're going to get into that. All right. Uh, so while you're popping that, Jamie, I'm going to kind of talk about how I obtained this bottle. Yes, please. So my husband and I were on... A trip to Banff, which I highly recommend if you guys haven't been there. It is in Alberta, Canada. It is absolutely beautiful. Make sure you get the bear spray. Yes. It's a whole nother story <laughs> entirely. Um, but we stayed in this little uh, place. Look how pretty it oh, is. Oh, yeah. Um, in the city of Canmore. And um, Canmore is like a t- like a separate town right next to Banff. Okay. Um and we stayed at a boutique hotel called Creekside Villa. And it was charming. It was beautiful. It was so nice. We loved staying there. And what time through- of year did you go? We went in um, August. And throughout our trip, I noticed that like Canadian wine was everywhere. And I was intrigued because I felt like I've never seen Canadian like actual red and white wine. Right. You're Not like, ice uh, wine. Excuse me? Like... Yeah, and it's everywhere. It was on every menu. It was in every store. So I tried a few, and to be honest, was not impressed. So we go to Creekside Villa, and in Creekside Villa, the owner, Marcus, and his wife have a restaurant there as well that's Euro-Caribbean because they used to live in the Caribbean. They have this really fascinating story. Wow. Um, And he also cooks. And anyways, we got to talking to him. He sat with us all night and drank with us. So shout out to Marcus from Creekside Villa. What, what Marcus? Um, and we started talking about wine. And he's That's the really, kind of hospitality. Yes. Yeah, he's really into wine. And so I explained to him my experiences I had had with uh-huh. Canadian wine thus far. And he said to me, he handed, he's like, I have something for you. And he knew that we had a podcast because he saw me running around um, oh. the outside of the villa with <laughs> bottles of wine taking Didn't pictures. <laughs> He was like, you are the strange lady running around my hotel with bottles of wine. Yep, that's yep, me. That's me. Yep. So uh, he's like, I have something for you. And he came out with this bottle. Um, and Did said, he tell you anything about it? Nope. He just said, this is a really good bottle and you need to try this and you need to feature this on your podcast. So here you go, Marcus. Here you go, Marcus. Cheers We're to gonna you. Cheers. It's pretty mm. good. It needs to... Um, Breathe, which 
I did read that it. Um, oh my, well, that's why we decant. Why we use the yeah, aerator? But it needs to breathe a little bit more. What was it? What was it that one of the reviews said it was like to decant for three hours or to leave it in the bottle for ten more years? Yeah. Well, we're gonna go with the aerator and continue to swirl. Yeah. I mean, this is a 2014, <laughs> so it's gotten about five years of aging in. Oh shit! That's right. Yeah. It's 2019, isn't it? Yeah. So. <laughs> It's. I don't know why it's so difficult to do like mind know. math, but I guess it, it means is. I'm just gonna have to go back if I want more. That's so. pretty okay. Yeah, actually, because so ice wine is that really really sweet stuff. Yeah, that I just don't know if it's up my alley. I think that I have a greater appreciation for it now. However, it's definitely not something that I would probably you know seek out. But Agreed. this. This is a far cry from ice wine. Yeah, because that's what we usually know Canada for is ice wine. But this is actually like a 50-ish dollar bottle of wine. So he was very generous. Wow. Um, Black Hills Winery, you've got to look on your face. Well, I was just going to say, I'm picking up a lot of notes on like the blacker, like the darker fruits. Mm -hmm. Like blackberry and I don't know about blueberry, but there's definitely blackberry and cherry. But there's also, oh, you know what? It's changed a little bit already since my first sip because I felt like I picked up a lot of more, a lot more of that, the like a little bit more bell pepper, like green. That's bell the pepper, Cobb Franc, probably. Which is Cabernet. Although there are some certain, I think regions that make Cabernet Sauvignon that typically have more of the bell pepper, but I still associate green bell pepper with Cab Franc, hundred percent. But so. Yeah. And it's a little bit smoother. It's not as heavy on the tannin. And that's probably because of all the Merlot that's in there. I think there's a little spice or bitterness at the end that yeah. I think it I think once it opens up a little bit, I think that's gonna smooth out. This is better than everything else I drank there, I'll say that much. Okay. <laughs> well, <yay. laughs> Cheers to Canada. Yeah. Well, Canada. thank you, Marcus, and thank you. Creekside Villa, <clears throat> and I would re- highly recommend going there. It was an abs- absolute delight. And this nota bene mm-hmm. is actually a Latin term. I, I looked this up. It means note well, okay. or basically observe carefully or take special notice. And I think that this is even more fitting, not just for the Canada aspect, <clears throat> but because we're going to be talking about climate and what the heck that's doing to Canadian wine, but also what we need to consider for future wine. Because right. I know that people think that climate change is a hoax. Some like some people think that it's not real. But when you start to really look at the facts and the numbers and the dates of, you know, harvesting and all that stuff, it you can't deny that it is a thing, that it's a real thing. Oh, absolutely. And I think it, at, it matters even more so for wine because the smallest temperature changes can impact oh grapes. Oh, my God, drastically. So, you know, I think that's why it's a bigger deal for the wine making people so anyways so. a little bit about black hills uh estate winery in okanagan valley i found the information on okanagan valley pretty interesting but um before we get into that um black hills is one of like i guess the premier vineyard places in in Okanagan Valley and and that's in Appalachian so it's in the middle of Canada's only official desert did you know Canada has a desert okay (laughs) it's so funny that you mentioned that because did you know Washington State has a desert yeah okay so I didn't but 
when I think desert, I think hot. I think yeah. the Sahara. I think this crazy nonsense. But really, it only means a desert is any place that is like arid and does not get a lot of precipitation. It's very, very low, if any, precipitation throughout the year. So that being said, it's more believable now that I know that definition for it. But I, that's very, it is surprising. Yeah. So because it's in Canada, they have one of the, so they have one of the hottest, driest, and sunniest sites in the country. They even get more sunlight hours than Napa in the summer Dang. months. Um, but they have this west facing slope, slope and they have sand. So this, but this gives, I guess, uh, a temperature variation that produces daytime heat that fully ripens the grapes followed by cool nights that allow mm. acid retention. That's called the diurnal um, something, right? Yeah, diurnal temperature variation. Yes. yes. And that's super important yes. for wine growing. Yep. I've heard this time and time again on multiple podcasts and multiple books. So, um, Yeah, so the winemaker is Graham Pierce. This was, so of other wines, this Note Bene is um, the first time in, I think it was their 16th vintage, that they aged an additional six months of barrel aging for this wine to give it more softening of tannins. Did you say this winery started in 99? Yes. Is that right? I believe so. Uh-huh. So this is the first time they aged it longer. And I guess from I like these it. wine reviews I've been reading that it actually you can tell year by year that it's been getting better. They've... They've, I guess, improved their viticulture. They've got, they've had new facilities. They brought new machines, better wine knowledge. So their wine has been improving quality wise year to year. I, but don't you think that you get that a lot of times with vineyards? Because yeah. it's sort of, as we talked about with Casey, it's a little bit trial by error, but you just learn with every every vintage that you go through, you learn something new. Exactly. And it may lead to some sort of small adaptation that has big results. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fucking wine i love you <laughs> I just they love say it. they're so terroir centric that the wine girl lives right in the middle of the vineyard he quite literally eats sleeps and breathes the grapes wait what yeah i'm not sure how that works but apparently he lives in the middle of the vineyard the winemaker does yeah graham pierce adventures in a vineyard i know i, I kind of need to understand more about this do you think he sets up a tent i would hope that he has like some sort of structure <laughs> Like oh, maybe it's bathroom. like in Bottle Shack. Yeah, I don't know. Remember? Like up on the property, little shacks? Potential. That's funny. Um, and they also practice sustainable farming, so kudos. There you go. There you go. So, yeah. All right, so kudos I'm, to Black Hills Sarah, State. drink a little bit more of this. I, I'm actually really, I'm really kind of digging it. It's much more bright cherry now. I'd say the red fruits are coming through a little bit more so. Yeah. Um, it's tasting way better for sure. Yeah, and it lingers. It has yeah. like a nice linger. Like it's at least like a 30 second. So <laughs> I like that this is a fuller, slightly fuller body. I feel like we haven't done a fuller body in, in a bit. I don't know. Maybe. You're I'm... probably right. Although it may just seem like forever. I thought... Like two weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, you guys, we were recording this on a Wednesday and I was like, I swear to God, it's like Friday. <laughs> it should be. I mean, it just seems like so much time has passed. I'm sure that many of you can can relate. Uh-huh. For sure. Um, all right. So that's Canada. That's Black Hills. Well, that's Black Hills. That's not Canada. That's true. <laughs> that's true. 
That's true. Because Canada has multiple... I think I read that there are five main regions of wine growing in mm-hmm. Canada that mm-hmm. have smaller like, viticultural areas. So I think that, you know, this is just but one representation. Mm-hmm. And... God, I really don't know that much about Canada. I've never been there. But I think a lot of that ice wine that you mentioned before comes from, like, just north of Niagara. Yeah. Right? Like, north of So, Niagara-on-the-Lake is one of the like, yep. premier Canada wine-growing regions. And that's because they make all this quality ice wine. They also make Chardonnay and Riesling. I guess they're known for those as well. Um, but the ice wine is kind of like... That's what we see in the United States. We don't really... So, we don't see Canadian wine. No, we and don't. And it's not because there's some law or something that, that restricts it. It's because they don't make enough to export, really. You found some information where they, yeah. they actually keep like 95% of the wine that they make. They do. And then they only export like, I don't know, like a a tenth of 1%, something crazy little, uh, to the United yeah. States. And it's usually Washington and California that get that. Um, so really all we see here is the, is the Canadian ice wine. I was just thinking, well, I guess we know we need to go to Washington and California to find more <laughs> if we're going to do a proper tasting. That's true. But I think I am also thinking that part of the reason why it's probably not as widely distributed or exported to the U.S. is because we have very specific tastes as consumers. And I think that that's something that in reading, we found so many articles talking about wine and climate change and all that stuff. But one of the, I think, overarching ideas is that winemakers in new world countries, so like the U.S., Australia, China, they really cater towards the consumer palate and what well, the consumers want, I not think, necessarily what's going to grow well. I don't think Canada doesn't not do that. I just think that can- Canadian wines... Okay, how do I put this? I don't think they make enough good quality wine to export it sure. out. Sure. Well, and I was going to say, and the stuff that they do make is probably made... It's drink there. It's drink there, but it's probably... It meets what they like in wine right. versus what... The U.S. likes, which I think people come to know, like, the California Cab and the California Chardonnay. So it's like, well, then why would Canada even try to compete? Because we have huge competitors on our own soil in Washington, California, and other states. Other states, too. (laughs) Not just them. Oregon. Oregon. Pinots. But still. So good. I think, but the other thing is that the ice wine is made out of a lot of different grapes. Like, I found this ice wine... By Inniskillen, I could be mispronouncing that, but I know that it's, I've seen it multiple times and I've heard about it a lot. They made a Cabernet Franc ice wine and I want to try it so badly, which I would probably never say those words ever that I want to try ever an ice wine. <laughs> but ever I don't life. know why. It just sounds so intriguing. It's $90 on Total Wine. Wow. It's and those like are a half not, bottle. I was going to say, those are not big bottles. No, ice wine. they're baby bottles. So why are we talking about ice wine? Okay, so we're talking about ice wine because the huge predicament that Canada is facing is a result of climate change and the fact that for all of these vineyards that make ice wine, they're finding that they're not getting, it's not getting cold enough as many times as they need to before harvest because there's a fine line 
when you harvest grapes versus when they start to mm-hmm. rot versus mm-hmm. all these other things. And so due to the climate changes that have been occurring, like there are some, it might've been Inniskillen actually, who mentioned yeah. they have never, there was a year that they didn't even have a vintage. They just threw everything out. That's it crazy. Was so bad. That's gotta be devastating. Can you imagine? No. I mean, all of the money, all of the time and effort that they put in to these grapes throughout the whole year, and then just to get rid of it all. And the thing is that I think they said they didn't even go out and harvest it. They just let the stuff like fall to the ground. I I don't know. I can't even imagine making that decision. But it was sort of the argument, the fruit was so bad that there really was not enough to salvage in order to make a decent amount. I still beg the question though, well, isn't there that whole like supply demand op- like option where if it was such a small supply, you could you could effectively increase the prices? I'm sure. For I'm sure vintage. they have already, don't you think? Yeah, I think you're right. But I think that they also probably thought, is the juice worth the squeeze, literally and figuratively, to produce this and to have a very small. Um, small output. Small well, yield. Also, yeah. yeah, thank you. Well, also not really knowing what the eventual wine will turn out to be like. Right. You know? So, <clears throat> I guess temperature needs to be about 17 to 18 degrees Fahrenheit to harvest the grapes for ice wine. And like you said, these windows of opportunity to harvest are less and less. So, in 1977, there was 26 days below 18 degrees. And in 2007, that fell to three. Three. I mean, I wonder what 2019 is going to be. I mean, I can tell you right now, at least here in... I'm pretty sure we're at like 20 or something. I'm pretty sure we're more than that. Do our negative like 20 degree temperatures count as double days or what? (laughs) So that's the other thing. That's polar vortex stuff. That can actually damage vines. Yes. Didn't we talk before about, like, combustion if it freezes too quickly? Yeah, so, you know. um, But the other thing is for the winemakers is because they have such a limited time to harvest ice wine, like, usually it would take, like, you know, 60 to 80 people to harvest because they only have, let's say, a couple days. Right. So they've had to, some of them, resort to mechanical harvesting because they can't get that manpower in to do hand picking in -hmm. that short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah, and then I guess the hotter it gets in the summer or whenever, the vines become more sensitive to cold, so they are more prone to damage in these extreme, like, polar vortex-like temperatures. That, I think, is really, I mean, I guess many people probably, I know I didn't really think too much about how if it gets drastically hot in the summer, that then makes the vines unequipped to deal with you know, harsher winters and things yeah. like that. So, so one of the things that, I mean, I think that we've heard and that we read is that some Canadian winemakers due to the warmer temps, even during the, um, the, excuse me, the ripening period, they're actually feeling like they might need to move further North. Yeah. And in order to have, I mean, the harvest times I think are shortened or the, God, the ripening periods are shortened so they can harvest earlier for some grapes, but it might be an issue that it's harvesting too early. Right. And so they want to be sure that there's enough time for the grapes and for the flavors to fully develop because the longer ripening period actually offers greater character, greater complexity, 
things like that in the eventual wine that's going to be made. And so they're starting to think about moving north. I don't envy that. I don't want to move north. <laughs> I feel like I would need to wear like five parkas at a time. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not. I, no. No. Sarah's in pain. I know. I literally had to pause because I was in so much pain thinking about moving north. I think we're far enough north as we're ever going to get. Okay, don't. Don't never say never. You never know what's going to happen in life. Knock yeah, on we got to knock on that wood. Knock on wood. All right. So that's ice wine. How is climate change affecting other wine regions? Well, okay. So climate change, let's be very clear about it. It's not limited to the temperatures. I know we've been talking a lot about that, mm-hmm. but climate change actually involves different types of precipitation, um, Greater wind gusts, hail, um, hail, which is tornadoes. extremely damaging. Tornadoes, hurricanes, polar vortex, like exactly. And so that di- even though the diurnal temperature variation is extremely important and really helps grapes retain certain acidity while also being able to develop those more complex flavors, which I think is ideal for many winemakers and many varietals, it is not something that is great all around. And so it is really, it's really a challenge because what do you do especially with this hail stuff and isn't it also like this inconsistency so like i don't think it'd be the end of the world if it was increasing like two degrees every year or something like that Mm -hmm. well that's a lot (laughs) i'm sorry two degrees every like 20 years okay 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 um but it's more the um it's more the the extremes right and the inconsistency that's causing issues so yeah you have because people... I think yeah it learned it leads to like early frost or extremely late frost and well one bad hailstorm can damage the whole the whole vineyard totally and if it doesn't damage the grapes it may damage the leaf canopies that are protecting the grapes mm-hmm. which I may not seem that significant and I'm sure that there are certain grapes you know these thicker skin grapes like Syrah or whatever that yeah. tend to be a little bit more resistant right could you imagine Pinot Noir no. Like those grapes would be ripped to shreds from hailstorms, and hailstorms last like minutes sometimes. Yes, yeah. that's all that it takes. I know. I mean, I think about when like hailstorms like dent cars. <laughs> it's really upsetting. That's a car, not a grape. Poor little grapes. This is true. So I think in general, um, that's the, that's the scariest part is these extreme things that are happening. Yeah. You know. I was actually listening to the Wine Enthusiast podcast. They mm-hmm. talked about climate change in one of their recent podcasts. Really interesting. They were interviewing a New York winemaker who was talking oh, about how, like... On Long Island. Yes, how they never had to deal with hurricanes. Surprise! And now that can, like, just basically take out an entire year. But for regions like that, these unique regions, climate change actually might be beneficial in some ways. It could be. Yeah. But, so, I'm talking, like, Michigan, um, New York, England, like, all these kind of... Michigan got a shout-out on that podcast. Yes, they did. Mm -hmm. They did. Um, All of those places might have, you know... And and, and the Michigan winemaker was talking about how hail hail was an issue for them, because they never had hail before. You know, but all those regions can benefit, I think. They talk about how there's a silver lining and how... They may benefit some from the climate change because they might be able to grow grapes that they haven't been able to grow there. Like, so explain what that would mean. 
Like what is that silver lining then? So like, for example, they could have never thought of growing Cabernet, let's say, Mm -hmm. but in 20 years, they might be able to grow Cabernet and grow it well. Because it'll be, it'll be, because the climate will be of that, that you can. However, you know, then you look at like places like Germany and France where we have the ability in the United States to grow whatever we want, wherever we want. Like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure our listeners can sympathize with the pouring of the wine. I hope you all are doing the same as we speak. Um... Uh, but, you know, we have the freedom to say, hey, this looks like a great piece of ground to grow some Merlot or whatever. I mean, like, we can grow whatever we want, wherever yeah. we want. Germany, France, they can't, Italy, like, they can't do that, right? So, right. So they're very limited. And this is, I think, going to affect them because, you know, like, the Riesling isn't going to be... It's not going to be what Riesling should be because, you know, maybe warmer climates aren't going to give you that more acidic right. Riesling. Exactly. And that's the thing is that they are, so they can, they'll still be able to grow Riesling. They'll mm-hmm. still be able to grow these. But the problem is that with the climate change, they're going to get completely different characters. Exactly. I mean, again, we even talked about in the last episode with that Pinot Noir from California, mm-hmm. totally different than a Pinot Noir from Burgundy. Oh, yeah. I mean, totally different. And so... If you think about that, if it starts to get warmer in France, in Burgundy, yeah, you, you could be getting wines that are closer towards the California Pinots. And we know that there are only a few places in California that can really grow it. But one of the other things, so it is one of those like double-edged swords, I think, because there are so many laws and restrictions in certain appellations within these old world countries that really don't allow Mm -hmm. any other grapes. It's like you can grow this one grape, you can grow these five grapes, or you can grow like maybe 10 grapes. Maybe Italy is a little bit different because they have so many, like a thousand or so different varietals. Yeah. But the other benefit about the old world is that they have so much more, I guess, experience and they've done so much more research. So they've studied the soils a bit more. So they know a little bit more about like the microclimate, the mesoclimate, what the what the individual soils are going to do and what to expect. The New World, while they've done their research, they still are sort of in that newness phase. Because right. while we know that there are some, you know, vines that are really, really old that were retained even during Prohibition and stuff like that, <laughs> many of them are different in there's also that phylloxera situation. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. It's a whole other thing. But they don't necessarily have all of that knowledge to back any decision to like rip up other vines and replant them with new ones. Right. Like newer varietals. Yeah. I mean, we heard like Canada's planting Italian varietals. Well, because like they, have the liber- they have the liberty to. They do have the liberty. And, and it's probably so much so that... They have the liberty, so they're able to do it. They have the land to do it because it's not like you get these itty-bitty small plots. I'm sure that the regions are much bigger. They're much more expansive. And, you know, in France, Italy, all of these, like, vineyards are, like, the size of, like, a person's yard, basically. Right. (laughs) You know? So I think that there's more opportunity to test things. It's like trial and error. It's like a hypothesis. I think that this is going to do well. No, I, I, I definitely agree, but I think that that gives you, like like I said, you have the liberty to do so. 
Whereas, you know, I don't know in old worlds if you're going, they're going to have those liberties, um, which we might see these more unique wine regions popping up in the next 30 years, you know? Sure. Like China apparently is trying, is making wine. They're apparently making a lot of Cab Sav. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's their favorite um, out there. Russia's apparently making wine. I thought they were like frozen tundra. Are they the new ice wine makers? I don't know. Holy shit. Yeah. Canada, watch out. Watch out. <laughs> I mean, we have more reasons to watch out from Russia than wine, but. Do you, okay, do you <laughs> find, I know that we're talking about wine and climate change and all that fun stuff. Do you, Have you noticed major differences in your daily life from climate change? I mean, this polar vortex shit is annoying as hell. Oh my hell. God, I, I mean, like, I can't. I can't, I have never in my entire life experienced negative 40 degrees or whatever we experienced. Feels here. like negative 43. Yeah. That's I never, took a picture of that. That shit. actually was record breaking for my lifetime. That's crazy. You knock on wood because it might, it might get colder. <laughs> I mean like, yeah. So that affects me. I don't like that. I don't, I don't, I mean, no. I well, mean the, I the bars in Wisconsin closed. That, that is, is true. That is that's like a never event. That never. Like when we use the words never, that never happens. That's how it affects me. A few pol- polar vortex. Get out of here. Get the fuck out. But, you know, in t- however many years, everything might settle down. Like this might just mean an, adjust- an adjustment period in climate change. I well, don't know. And they say that it's usually, like, it takes a while for it to sort of meet its new, find yeah. its new, it's like, new settle norm. in, right? right? The new norm. Yeah. So it, it sort of fluctuates. But I think, you know, again, and I don't know if we can tear this one back or pull this one back to the California wine industry, but when you go through climate change, it also maybe increases the risk for wildfires, I feel like I read yeah. that too, in addition to the wind. Well, California. Let's talk about California and the fires and how Granted, many vineyards that some they, of them yeah. were stupid shit because people are dumb. Yes. Because Homo sapiens suck. Yes. <laughs> Homo sapiens can suck for no, sure. Uh, yeah, they hate nature some days. We do not do I, good things to nature some days. Not every day, so but some days. Yeah. We we are not good. So. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. I, so this is my philosophy on this. Okay. Teach us. You need to take your wine that you love. You need to buy a lot of it and you need to (laughs) sell her that shit. Because you don't know in five or 10 years, if you're going to be getting the same thing, especially from old world, especially from France, especially from Germany, because we don't know, like, I don't know if, like, Chateauneuf de Pop, the one that I got in 2013, is going to taste the same in 2025. True that shit, but, like, you also, okay, what if you, like, what if your favorite wine is a wine that doesn't age well? What are you going to do? I don't know. You got to find new wine, girl. I mean, I don't fall into that category. So, first of all, like, I'm just really what kind of wine is your favorite if it doesn't age well? Poodle? Pinot does age well. It not always. Most of the time. If you have a good Pinot, it'll age well. I think that's debatable about where it's from. True. But the Pinot that I like will oh, okay. age well. <laughs> um, what's another? Okay, now I'm going to try to test you. All right. Uh-oh, you guys. This is like... This Sauvignon is like, Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc does not age well. No, but I don't like that. I know that you so, don't. I mean, like, that's fine. 
I know that doesn't age well. I have, I mean, I'd say that I typically tend to stock up on like Cabernet Sauvignon and things like that. And they will typically age well. Maybe not all of them for like the 20, 30 yeah. plus years. I also am unsure that I'm able to hang on to wines for that long. Oh, I, I know you can do it, Jamie, because you're going to get to the... Here's how you age wine for that long. What? You buy so much of it that you just can't keep up with the drinking. And then you just keep selling it. Do you know that I think I have like 140 bottles of wine? Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm somewhere in that range. Your husband buys it too, though. True, but not in the quite volumes that I have because have and do. And do. And do. I'm still, I have not quit any of my wine clubs now that I think about it. I actually probably have like 10 bottles of wine to pick up from a wine club. So, I mean, like, you know, just keep setting. I'm okay with it, though. I'm okay with it. This is why white wine is just so hard because... Here, I mean, I really only want to drink white wine in the summer, and... I just opened a white wine the other day. Did you? I did. And it was very refreshing. You were dreaming of summer days, weren't you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so, but I, but I, will, I want to go on record saying that uh-huh. I don't want climate change to make March, I almost said January, March, summery weather. Like, I'm okay if it doesn't get hot until June or July. Yeah, but I'm not okay with this temperature in March. I'm not okay with this temp either. If anyone wants to know, it was 9 degrees this morning. And it's March. It's 17 right now. Ooh, heat wave. So. (laughs) It's supposed to be in the 40s next week. Whoop de I just checked. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) Sarah hates polar vortex. Mm, Hashtag Sarah hates gold. Yeah. No, I really do. So. If we really pull it all together. Yeah. Climate change is a big deal for a lot of reasons. And the other thing is that we can apply this not just to grapes, although this is my favorite way to consume a fruit. Okay. Um, It is also, I'm sure, impactful for a number of vegetables. I, I would actually assume, and this is not, I'm not even kidding you, but as I've driven through the South, the Southwest, what the fuck? As I've driven through the Midwest... (laughs) <laughs> and seen cows and horses. I am very concerned for their well-being. And there is a thought in my mind that says, I wonder how many cattle have died during this polar vortex. If anyone knows that, please contact us because I'm sure Jamie can't this is right. This is what goes through my mind. And this I is why this. she's up at 3 a.m., guys. This she's, is worried about, that, she's worried about the cattle in the middle of the That and drinking coffee too late in the day. But that's my own problem. That I can do something about. I can't do anything about the polar vortex or the number of cattle and the cows. But that (laughs) it literally, I think about that because it is. It's going to have an impact. Now, do I think that we have some cattle that are in like that we are? Oh my god, you're cracking me up right now. What? I'm getting into a totally different topic. I'm so sorry. You're very concerned about the cows. I'm concerned about a lot of things. But I, so is it terrible if some of them die? Probably not because I think that we are overpopulating with greenhouse gases. And guess what? That is what is happening with climate change. That's why climate change is happening. Greenhouse so you, gases. So you're saying that it's actually climate change. The emissions. Change. So we're saying climate change is a thing. Oh, totally. And that we need to worry about it because it affects I'm our wine. It affects our wine drinking. Damn it. Don't. Don't ruin our wine drinking. I mean, I'm all for places like Michigan getting better because, like, I'm from Michigan, so good for that. But don't, it's just a, 
Don't mess with my like. Okay, it's just a the, bit of a balance, don't you think? Though yes, agreed. Like we all need to, we all need to get along, and I think that the other thing is that we all need to get along. We all need to get along. I I think that you're the point that you made before about how these old world countries where the laws, the actual laws for winemaking in like France and Germany only allow certain varietals. Yeah. If there is going to be a future for winemaking, they may need to think about changing those laws, which it might not just be the varietals. It might just be the practices too. Like, can they do different, can they do different things they haven't been allowed to do in the past? I'm not sure. To help the winemaking process. Jamie is looking at me like I'm the devil. I'm just saying, I mean, there are certain things they're not allowed to do, which I like because I think that it makes the wine more pure. However, they might have to if they want to keep certain wine tasting the same. Okay, Sarah, because then I think you're drawing them very finely. You're coming I know. right up to that I know. edge. I'm, I'm right there. With like... I'm there. I'm poking the bear. I know I am. You are. You're poking the Canadian bear. With uh, Give me the fucking bear spray because I need it right now because I don't like the bear that you're poking. Listen, I'm just playing, I'm just playing the devil here. I mean, like, <laughs> seriously. I would call you the devil's advocate. I don't think you're the devil. Whatever. Devil's advocate, devil. It's fine. Either way. Okay, I'm just saying, though, that's something, like, either you're going to have to open, and I'm not saying next year, and even in 10 okay. years. Okay. This could be in 20 or 30 years. Either they're going to have to maybe potentially open up the possibility to, to, to growing other varietals in yeah. those regions, or they might have to open up the possibility to allowing different winemaking practices and who knows if some of those are not done under the table. We don't know. But yeah, that's true. I am a little curious because or concerned because I think some of these practices are typically banned for a good reason. And I still I would probably err on the side. Well, my preference would be to not have all these additives and not be able to change it because no, guess I what? Agree. I think that we and actually I'm wondering if that would even be necessary. Because, as you mentioned, this is not like a necessarily immediate change. It's a gradual change. And so if it's a gradual change, perhaps our palates as consumers, if we adapt with it, then our palates will change so they won't have to change and like put all these additives or modify how they're doing the wine. Oh, that, but, that, I mean? but that's... Mm. We can change... True, but then what are you gonna, sapiens are well, adaptable. Sure, but then what are you going to do with your, like... Okay, I think that's true. I would say that's true for the masses. But then you have your wine people, such as me and you, and, like, others that, like, would probably enjoy a 20-year vintage wine of one of your favorites. And that is not going to be the same, nor it shouldn't be the it same. Be. No. But what I'm saying it's, is, is that... A good aged bottle of French wine is going to be good no matter what. You love right? your French wine. I, I got to get on that. I need to find the right French 
French wines. And but, California. You know what? California cabs. Like you need yeah. to you need to be able to age those. But I was gonna say, I think that I think you're right. It is gonna be different. I mean, but also consider that you are drinking a 20-year-old wine. So what we expect that we're like if we drink a wine that we love so so much right now and we're like, oh my god, it's amazing. There's no way in 20 years it's gonna be remotely similar. It might be remotely similar. It won't be similar. The winemaker helps you figure that out, though, if this is something that can be aged. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there are, like, those wine vintage charts, too. Yep. I just saw it from, from wine enthusiasts as well. But I, I'm i not sure that we wouldn't, if it's a gradual change to the flavors and, and nuances of certain wines, I'm not convinced that we can't change our palates and our preferences as consumers of wine. Listen, I think wine's going to sell no matter what. And I think that depending on climate change, I think that we're going to see wine popping up from weird, weird areas. fucking places. And I think that, I think as long, no, seriously. You're like, right. No, you're hundred percent right. But I think that's fine. I think what's going to happen is, is like places like France and Germany and Spain and like Italy and all these places that are old world, yeah. that, as we say, you're going to be getting more expensive wines from there. Wines are going to get more expensive because it's going to be harder to produce quality wine because that is going to be, they're going to have to be dealing with smaller yields if they're going to keep practices the way they are. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then that's going to make for more expensive wine. So you're going to have people who really enjoy those wines. Like they're still going to sell for sure, but the cheaper wine that pleases the masses is going to be coming from other places. It's going to be coming from like New York. It's going to be coming from like, cause they're going to be able to plant the, they have the opportunity to plant these, these different varietals and they have an opportunity and they're willing to do it. I think exactly. Um, I think you're totally right. I think that the really quality wines are only going to go up in price much to all of our dismay. Because it's going to become, the yields are going to become smaller because of all of these different factors, factors yeah. that are boiling in, down into like what goes into your bottle. Yeah. And then to top, to top it all off, the warmer it gets, the more sugar there is, the higher the alcohol content. So they're going to have to be kind of careful with that. Cause well, and that's the other thing is that they, I know that they, winemakers monitor this bricks level. And so they conduct these tests like, and it can change from a day-to-day basis which is cool when you think about it but it's also a little alarming because it could change drastically if you leave the grapes on the vine for like an extra two days yeah because you can't get to harvest so then you're going to have this real booze boozy 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 wine yeah which may not be as drinkable as many people would like that might be like a I'm already two glasses in. I'm going to pull out this bottle of wine. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like your orange sweat. Okay. But I do love my orange sweat, so I'm not going to complain. Okay? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. This, I, I don't think that we can, I don't think that we can really avoid what's happening. I think that we can continue to try to take, you know, steps in our daily lives to reduce certain, um, maybe you're farting a lot like greenhouse emissions. I'm kidding. Only halfway though. <laughs> <laughs> Cause the green, greenhouse emissions, like 
you know, contribute to that. But, like, gas and, you know, when you drive your car and stuff like that. Like, all of these I emissions. Think, I think in general we need, to be, we need to be better to our planet. This, but is, what, this is, we have two episodes about this. Yeah. Art of Earth and the one with the meeker wine. I know. Yeah, be the good, handprint. Be good, be good to the planet, but... Be good to the planet and drink a lot of wine. Drink a lot of wine. Save a lot of wine. You like something and you think and and confirm that it's going to age well. Save it because you might not get that same bottle from that same place. And you know, 10, 20 years down the line. Now, true Again, that. I don't think it's this is all happening, you know, in the next few years. But in our lifetime, we might see some changes for sure in the wine industry and the wine just where we see wine coming from. Yes. Yes. <sighs> Climate. What is this? What are we going? <laughs> Canada. Climate and Climates crew. Climates and crew. So fucking interesting. Obviously, we can go down a lot of rabbit holes, I but know. I love this shit. And it's like, it, it's talking about one of my favorite things in the world. Wine. Don't we do that every week, Jamie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Yes, so come and listen to us again. But I mean, <laughs> next but I mean, Friday. But I mean, it's we're talking about the fate of one of my favorite things. There you go. The That's there right. we go. Yeah, and it has great implications <laughs> for what is to come. And I just, I'm so concerned, and I love this, and I don't want anything to happen to Jamie's this thing concerned the about the wine and the cows, guys. <laughs> the wine. Should we so. call this episode Canada Climate Cows and Crew? <laughs> No. <laughs> oh. Cheese? Cheese. Cheese and crew? That's Wisconsin, man. <laughs> Cheese, cattle, and crew. Yeah. Cheese, uh, cattle, right. and crew. That's a whole other podcast. I know. Oh, we I think Jamie's really enjoying this Canadian <laughs> uh, Okay, wait. Let's go oh. back to this for a minute. Just to close this out. I think this is actually a pretty good line. Like I said, that, that bitterness, I think, has oh. opened up. Totally dissipated, yeah. Yeah, um... No, this is good. It's well balanced. It's like you said, the dark fruits. If I knew what brambleberry tasted like, I would say this probably yeah, tastes like that. that? I, um, but I like do get word? yeah, I get the blackberry. I get the dark dark cherries, like like yes. like the macerated dark uh, yep. cherries. 100%. Like that's what I get from this. Yeah, like if um, you go to a restaurant and you get like a cheesecake or something, right, as a dessert, but they have like macerated berries on oh, the yeah. side. That's like. What you get, but it's not overly sugary. No, right? So no. This is. I mean, this is very balanced. It's not overly tannin, but I think that the Merlot is what brings that down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's a relatively smooth wine, to be honest. It is. This is actually opened up quite nicely. Mm-hmm. I enjoy this. I think more than when we first opened it, for sure. Yeah. So I agree with the decanting. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally, totally. Too bad we obviously didn't give it three hours, but we did oh. the aerator and we've swirling, we've been swirling and yeah, you know whatever. that's the same. It's yeah, it's totally the same. <laughs> One day I'll do the test of like pouring a bottle of wine into a decanter and take a sip of it every and, hour. Oh, and you could do the same bottle, like same vintage, and do it this way, and we could see what the difference is. Oh. I like that. Look, we're all about testing things. Yeah, we are. We're setting hypotheses and we're testing. To come. I hypothesize that I'm going to try and grow wine in Wisconsin with climate change. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I hypothesize that I will drink that wine. Oh, God. 
we will we will cross. We might have to chase it with something. We might, we might, we might. But it's okay. It's okay. All right. right. (laughs) Until next time, DV peeps. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers Cheers from from the the girls of DBP. DBP.